Don't you love Christmas? <laughs> the presents, the Christmas songs, the decorations, and a little good old-fashioned controversy, right? Like, can you believe that some people want to take Christ out of Christmas and they want to take Christmas out of the holidays? Like, come on, Starbucks. What are you thinking? Plain red cups? How do you think that makes the snowflakes and the pine tree branches from last year's cups feel? Right? Or maybe the, the Christmas tree bulbs from the year before. How do you think that makes them feel, Starbucks? Or how about the Santa Claus and snowmen and reindeer and fox from the cups in 2011? How do you think that makes them feel, Starbucks? Come on. This is Christmas. Who do you think you are? I mean, do you think you're like some secular, for-profit, international chain of coffee shops based out of the Pacific Northwest, one of the least Christian areas of our country, with thousands of employees of countless different ethnicities and religious backgrounds? Is that who you think you are, Starbucks? This is America, right? It's a Christian nation. You don't like it. Go back to where you came from, amen? Don't say amen. Don't say amen. Hear anything like that this past month? I have numerous times. How do you respond in situations like that? Like when these sorts of things, red cups, plain red cups is just the latest thing, right? How do you respond in situations like that? It's really easy to get sucked up into the nonsense, isn't it? Like when some outspoken person from, from the community that you associate yourself with, the Christian community, when some outspoken person is outraged, it's easy to get outraged right along with them, right? Like, yeah, Joshua, his name's Joshua. Yeah, Joshua, why do they have to have plain red? cups. And, and, and why can't my Christmas tree just be called a Christmas tree? Why does that be called a holiday tree? And, and why can't employees, why are employers making employees say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas? Yeah, why are they doing that? It's easy to start feeling similar without giving it a whole lot of thought, isn't it? And our feelings kind of kick in before our brains kick in many times. Do you ever ask yourself, like, when stuff like this comes up, do you ever ask yourself, like, what's the, what's the most appropriate Christ-like response for us? You know? Like, how would, how would Jesus respond? Remember the little what would Jesus, WWJD bracelet? Like, like, what would Jesus do in a situation like this? And I wonder how what he does or did would be perceived by the world. After the ISIS terror attack on Paris a couple weeks ago, uh, somebody emailed me a uh, link to an article from the Washington Times that was actually from last week that was about a Facebook post from the San Jose chapter of the Satanic Temple. So the Satanic Temple has a San Jose chapter and they have a Facebook page and they have a post on there offering to help any Muslim who is afraid to leave their home for fear of being targeted or harassed just for being a Muslim. And so this is, this is actually what the post said. I read, we'll throw it up on the screen. It says, so this is the Satanic Temple, San Jose. It said, if anyone is in the San Jose region who's a Muslim and afraid to leave their home out of fear for some kind of backlash, don't hesitate to reach out to us. We would be glad to escort you where you need to go without advertising our presence. Just big dudes walking you where you need to be. We would also happily deliver you some groceries. It's the satanic temple right there. 
I saw one comment on that post that said, that awkward moment when you realize Satanists are more Christ-like than conservative Christians. Oh, oh, that hurts a little bit, doesn't it? Go back to the Christmas stuff. Like, go back to, to the Starbucks and the, and the fuss over the red cups and being wished happy holidays as opposed to Merry Christmas. Think about that. How do you respond to these things? Like, when these things come up in our culture, like, how do you respond to these things? How do you determine what's a big deal and what's not a big deal? How, how would Jesus respond to these things? How did Jesus respond to these things if he did, Right? And how does the way in which we respond help people understand the heart of Christmas? The heart of Christianity and the heart of Christmas. Well, this is what I'm going to dig into tonight. So, Merry Christmas. Here we go. Okay? Um, flip open in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. So, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. It's kind of in the second part of your Bible. First, maybe two-thirds, three-fourths is Old Testament. Then you get to the New Testament. So, Matthew is the first book. And Matthew is one of the four Gospels. And so, these four Gospels tell the story of Jesus. They tell the things that he did, his life, his teaching, his miracles, the amazing things that he did. And so, Matthew is the very first one. And so Jesus lived at a time where there were religious leaders called Pharisees. So there were some, some of the leaders, these were some of the leaders of Judaism, which is the, the Jewish religion, right, at the time. And they were very disciplined. They were very knowledgeable in their faith. So these were like the ultra-religious people. So if you remember last week, we were talking about the Apostle Paul. And I said, man, Paul back then was like a super Jew. Like when I think of Paul, I think of a super Jew. Well, Paul was a Pharisee, okay? That's who he was. And so these people even had like huge chunks of the Old Testament memorized, and they would follow these laws perfectly. They would follow them to a T. In fact, they actually, so they loved God's law. They actually loved it so much, and they didn't want people to break God's law, that they kind of developed their own laws in order to keep people from breaking God's laws, right? And so, man, we don't want anybody to do, to break any of the Ten Commandments, and so we're going to create all of these laws to keep people from even breaking these. Let me give you an example. Anybody remember what the Fourth Commandment is? There's Ten commandments, right? Anybody remember what the fourth is? Sabbath, right? Right? So, so take a rest. This is actually what it says. Exodus chapter 20. We're going to throw it up on the screen. Verse 8. So this is God. This is one of the laws that God gave. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day, seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and make it holy. So what's that mean? So take a rest, right? You earned it. Take a rest. Relax. It's good for you and actually gives you a chance to trust God, to show your dependence on God. Like we rest from our work. We're saying, God, I trust that you're going to provide for me. I trust that you're going to take care of me. So the Pharisees, they really wanted to make sure that no one broke God's law on the Sabbath, about the Sabbath. So they added lots of other laws. So you have the Ten Commandments, capital L law, right? Capital L. And then you have these Pharisaic laws, these rabbinical laws that they developed that were like little lowercase l laws. So they developed all these to make sure that people didn't break God's laws. So one, one guy that I read, J.W. Shepard, he wrote this. He's talking about these Pharisaic laws. He says, the Mishnah, which is actually a compilation of all of these laws. The Mishnah says that he that reapeth corn on the Sabbath to the quantity of a fig is guilty. You know what a fig is? Fig's really little. I have some at home. They're like,
like this big. He that reapeth corn on the Sabbath to the quantity of a fig, tiny little fig, is guilty. And plucking corn is reaping. Rubbing the grain out was threshing. Even to walk on the grass on the Sabbath was forbidden because it was a species of threshing. Another Talmudic passage says, In case a woman rolls wheat to remove the husks, it's considered sifting. If she rubs the head of wheat, it's regarded as threshing. If she cleans off the side adherences, it is sifting out fruit. If she throws them up in her hand, it is winnowing. A lot of rules, right? So like peeling a banana would have been considered work. And you're guilty. You've broken the Sabbath. Let me ask you this. You think that was God's heart when he said, take a Sabbath? Probably not, right? So they defined what work was and what it wasn't. And it wasn't long before these Pharisees started, like their laws that they developed became as important or more important in following than God's laws and in keeping the heart of God's law. In fact, they got ticked off many times at Jesus, actually, because Jesus didn't keep the Pharisaic laws. He, by and large, he ignored those while keeping the heart of God's law. And so Jesus is really hard on these Pharisees because they put all these rules in place and they were never actually ones that God had established. And they worked so hard to keep these rules in a very self-righteous way, but their hearts were actually far from God. And so Jesus is really hard on them because they look all nice and shiny and clean on the outside. But on the inside, they were dirty and they were rebellious and they were selfish and they were prideful. They thought that God would accept them just because they kept these rules on the outside, even though they didn't really love God. And then on top of that, they taught others to do the same thing. So Jesus is really hard on these Pharisees. And in in Matthew 23, basically Jesus is saying, shame on you Pharisees, in in a much stronger way. He says it seven times. Shame on you Pharisees, seven times. It's called the seven woes. I'm going to read one of them for us because I think that there's a lot that we can learn from this one that has direct relevance for us as we live in a culture with red cups and happy holidays and all those things. Ready? So Matthew chapter 23, look at verse 23. So this is Jesus talking to these Pharisees, and that's what he says. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. He says, you blind guides, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying, shame on you, Pharisees. Shame on you, teachers of the law. You're hypocrites. You follow the Old Testament law to a T by giving a tenth of everything that you've got, and yet you completely miss the biggest parts of the law, the actual heart of the law, things like justice and mercy and faithfulness. You say, you should have done both, but especially the big things, especially the most important things. And you're supposed to be teachers, Pharisees. Shame on you. That's what he's saying. One time when, when I was young, I don't even think I was there. I remember the story being told to me. I have, I have two older sisters. Both are much older than me. I'm much younger than them. But one of them, <laughs> one of them uh, is just a couple years older than me. And she was over at my grandparents' house. And she was playing. She was a young kid. She was playing with checkers. And she put one of the checkers in her mouth. And she started to choke. And I don't know if you've ever like experienced personally someone choking. But it is like the most terrifying 
experience you could ever be in because you feel so helpless. Like, I, I have to do something. You know, I got, I got to do something to help because if I don't, this person is going to die, right? So my grandpa, you know, my parents aren't there. My grandpa with his granddaughter is like freaking out. And I think he didn't know the Heimlich maneuver at the time. And so my grandpa's a big guy. He's like, man, he's like a real big guy. And uh, he didn't, instead of like putting his arms around her and squeezing her abdomen and, you know, compressing air to shoot the, the uh, checker out, he, he just takes her and he smacks her on the back really hard. Like he doesn't know what to do. He smacks her on the back. And by God's grace, this checker comes shooting out of her mouth across the room. Crazy, right? Like crazy. Listen, that's a checker. That's a checker. Jesus says that when our focus is on the minor things, we can very, very easily miss the major things, the bigger things. And he said, you know what it's like? It's like picking out a gnat out of your soup and at the same time swallowing a camel, right? That's what Jesus says. Guys, we live in a world where we can pick fights. We as Christians, man, we can pick fights about a lot of things. Some ridiculous things, to be honest with you. And so tonight, I want to challenge you, like, as we have these red cups things and happy holidays and, and holiday trees and all that stuff swirling around us, I want to challenge you, like, when, when the next one comes up, to consider three questions. Like, before we act, before we get on our little soapbox and we look down at people and we ask ourselves righteous, I don't have any of you in mind, I promise. I want to challenge you to consider three questions, okay? First question is this. It's going to make sense, I think, in a second. Here's the first question. Is this a camel or is this a gnat? Is this a camel or is this a gnat? See, as Christians, there's a lot of camels out there for us. There's a lot of really, really big deals for us. What are some of the camels, camels that we as Christians should stand up for? What are some of the camels that we as Christians should fight for? Well, I'm of the opinion that it starts in the church first. There's some camels for us in the church that relate to each other. There's some camels that we should fight against. Things like hypocrisy and legalism and pride and selfishness and consumerism. Like those are camels that we fight up against in the church, right? There's some things that we fight for, like, like the truthfulness of this. It's a big deal to us. We believe that this is the inerrant word of God. Things like the exclusivity of Christ. Jesus didn't come saying, hey, I'm one way of many ways. I'm an option for you. He didn't come saying that. He said, I'm the only way to be with God. That's a camel for us. Think of the sufficiency of grace. That we're saved by grace through faith alone. That's it. Those are camels for us. Those are all big deals. There's other ones in the church too. And then there's some things in the world that are like just part of the world that we as Christians, man, we got to stand up for. We got to fight for. These are camels for us. These are things like, you know, there is right and wrong. Believe that. There is good and there is evil. It's not all relative. And we can't just ignore evil and say, well, it's evil for you, but for me, it's okay. We can't do that. We have to fight things like injustices, like human trafficking, like abortion, like persecution, violence, pro- poverty, human rights things. Like those are camels for us in the world, right? And so we stand up and we say, I am willing to fight for these things. But guys, there's a lot of things that are just gnats. In fact, there are things that we make gnats that aren't even gnats. We make them a big deal. We make them camels and they're not even gnats. They're not even small deals. They're nothing for us. Like red cups, for example. 
Like expecting a secular company, which, by the way, I don't know if you know this, the logo is a pagan goddess. Starbucks. I don't hear too many people making a big deal out of that on that red cup, right? But we expect a secular company to celebrate something that in its essence is exclusively Christian. Okay, that's not even a gnat. Things like getting all bent out of shape when we see an advertisement for a holiday tree. Ooh, right? Like when somebody, getting ticked off when somebody wishes us happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, sir. Shut up. I'm a Christian. Right? Like guys, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Have we gotten so worried about offending people that our culture has gone overboard on being too politically correct? Probably. Probably. Are Christians not allowed some of the freedoms and rights as, as other religions and ideologies in our culture right now? Probably. But listen, we had many years of many freedoms and many privileges in this country that other religions didn't have for a long, long time. And guys, we blew it. We wasted it. We've sufficiently pushed people away over and over and over again from Jesus. We've blown it. Listen, what do we want to be known for? Think about that in your life. What do you want to be known for? Do you want to be known for our crusade against red cups, plain red cups, or whatever the next thing is? Do we want to take a stand against that? I think that does a disservice, a huge disservice, to Jesus and the cross when that's our platform. We don't stand up and make a big deal out of something that's not that big a deal. And what should we expect from the world anyways? Like, what should we expect from our world? See, sometimes we can think that our world is something that it's not. And we can get very, very frustrated and angry with our world. And we can be confused at who rules our world. And then we could actually end up hating our world and the people of our world that Jesus left us on mission to reach. Do you, do you know who's ruling the world? Like, do you, do you know what the Bible says about this? This, this may be a surprise to, to some of us in here. Do you, do you know what the Bible says is the ruler of this world? Jesus tells us in John 12 and John 14, he calls Satan the ruler or the prince of this world. Satan. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, he talks about the God of this world blinding the eyes of people so that they don't understand who Jesus is. You know who the God of this world is? It's Satan. It's the devil. Peter talks about him in 1 Peter chapter 5. He calls him like a lion. You know what a lion is? A lion's the king of the jungle, right? It's his world. No, one, no one's over the lion. He's at the top of the food chain. He says the devil's like a lion just prowling around looking for someone to devour. Guys, who's, who's the ruler of this world that you and I are in right now? It's, it's Satan. It's the devil. It's the, it's the enemy. Do you sense that? Like in your life? Do you, do you sense that? Do you, do you feel that? Do you see that? I do. Over and over and over again. Now that doesn't mean God's absent. It doesn't mean that God is powerless. It means that God has allowed Satan to wield power here and now temporarily as he builds his kingdom one heart at a time. Right? That's, that's God's plan. That's how God chooses to do it. And we have the freedom to either follow Satan or follow the one who created and will one day rule over everything in a new earth and a new heaven. He gives us a choice. But this world is not the kingdom of God. It's not. 
This world is not the kingdom of God. I realized that this week when I had two funerals. God didn't design this world to have all of this pain and heartache and torment and suffering and loss. That's not how God made this world. Do you know how all of that came to be? When humankind chose to follow the ruler of this world instead of the creator of this world. We're the ones who introduced sin. We chose it. And now we deal with this, the consequences of those things. See, sometimes we can think that the world is something that it isn't, and then we can expect the world to act in a way that doesn't make sense to it. Like, if this is the kingdom of God, we should expect places like Starbucks to have uh, Christmas stuff on their cups. And not just like Santa Claus and snowmen. We should expect them to have wise men and shepherds and, and Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus on their cups, right? But the kingdom of God is not the, this is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is growing in us while we live in enemy territory. Right? It's growing in us as we live in enemy territory in the kingdom of the devil. So what sense does it make? Think about this question. This is such an important question. What sense does it make for us to expect our non-Christian world to act Christian? What it doesn't make a bit of sense. Listen, neither Jesus nor his disciples tried to pressure any Jews or Gentiles into following him, did they? They didn't pressure people. They loved them, they shared truth with them, and they gave them the freedom to either choose him and follow him or not to, right? And some people chose to follow Jesus, and some people chose not to follow Jesus. Why do we feel like we need to pressure people into identifying with Jesus when they've not chosen to be followers of Jesus? Like, why, why do we feel this pressure? Starbucks, you should act like Christians. They're not a Christian company. Not even, not even close. Right? Why do we do it? Do we do it to make ourselves comfortable? I, I think so. To be honest. I want to be comfortable in this world. I'm in enemy territory, but I want to be comfortable in enemy territory. So all of you should act like Christians. Guys, that doesn't do a bit of good. Right? That doesn't do a bit of good. Listen, this is not a Christian nation. Say that again. This is not a Christian nation. This is a very worldly nation with some Christians living in it, right? Some of them live out their identity very well as followers of Jesus, as citizens of his kingdom. And some of them don't. Some of them act exactly like somebody whose leader is the ruler of this world, right? See, if we're not careful, we can expect Christian things from our non-Christian world. And then very quickly we could get frustrated and we can get angry with our world and we can begin to hate our world. We can condemn our world. We can want to distance ourselves from the world. We can isolate and insulate ourselves from the world instead of doing what Jesus calls us to do. Guys, the gospel is offensive enough, right? It's it's offensive in and of itself. Before we pick a fight with the world, before we stand up on our soapboxes and say, hey, Starbucks, ask yourself, is it a camel or is it a gnat? And here's a second question, ready? Am I clear whose kingdom I'm living in? Or am I confused? Have I forgotten? Have I missed it? Christmas is so much fun. Like Christmas, you, know, you got all the decoration. I love singing the Christmas songs. Cool to have the horns out there. I mean, Christmas, you know, you got the parties, you got the presents. I like presents. You got the presents, you got all that stuff. 
But do you ever think about, like, what's the whole point of Christmas? Like, what's, what's the point? Like, why was it such a big deal for Mary to be overcome by the Holy Spirit and to be found pregnant with child? Like, what's the big deal about little baby Jesus being born in the most humblest of circumstances in a manger in Bethlehem? Like, why is, what's all the fuss about with all this stuff? Why is it a big deal? Well, it's no mystery. Jesus actually tells us why it's a big deal. He does it in John 3, 16 and 17. This is what he says. He says, for God's, what, what's the fuss of Christmas? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He sent him, born as baby Jesus. And whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. What's, what's the point of Christmas? God loves us. Not to condemn us, but to save us. To give us hope. Jesus says in Luke 19.10, he says, this, Jesus himself, these are Jesus' own words, he says, Son of man came to seek and save the lost. That's why, that's why he came. Not to condemn us. Not to, to look down on us. To judge us. He came to save us. People that are lost and hurting and helpless. Guys, this is the beautiful heart of Christmas. Like this is the whole point of Christmas. God sent his son to save the world. Do you, do you, do you like, feel like the world offends you at some times? Like I, I, sometimes I feel like offended by the world. You know, I see some of the, the rotten things going on. Sometimes you're like flipping through channels and you see something like, I am offended by that. Guys, just think about how God must feel. He, not only does he see all the stuff that we see, but he sees inside your hearts and mine. Like how, how that must make him feel. And yet, his response, knowing all of that, his response isn't to condemn us. His response is to save us. To seek and save the lost. Listen, he allows us, he calls us to be part of that. People who are absolutely and totally at one time lost. I think about my, my, my own life, how lost I used to be. People who are absolutely and totally lost, he allows us to be part of his plan and helping other people come to know Jesus. People who are utterly undeserving of forgiveness and grace and peace with God. People who still struggle with sin, just like everybody else in the world. He calls us his ambassadors. Like, he calls us his representatives. He gives us the privilege and responsibility of helping other people experience peace with God. Like, that's absolutely amazing. Our job is not to condemn the world. Christians can be really good at that, right? Like we, can, we can be really good at being very much like us Pharisees and being self-righteous and acting like we got it all together. Our job isn't to condemn the world, it's to save the world. And guys, when our focus is on the wrong thing, not only are we not a part of saving the world, we're actually pushing people away from Jesus. When, when we got the wrong focus, when we focus on the gnats or the things that aren't gnats, and we miss the camels. Not only are we not being a part of God saving people, we're actually like stiff-arming people from Jesus. We're acting like his blocker, right? 
and we're keeping people from following him. Here's a third question that I want you to ask yourself. Remember the first one, is this, is this a gnat or is this a camel? Second question, am I clear as kingdom I'm living in? Third question, am I drawing people to Jesus or away from Jesus? Like when I'm going to take my stand, when, I, when something's getting under my skin, it's bothering me, and I see it, when I'm going to take my stand, is it going to move people toward him? Or is it going to push people away from him? See, none of us in here, as far as I know, are Pharisees or teachers of the law, right? Raise your hand if you are. No one, right? None of us in here are Pharisees or teachers of the law, but we can be blind guides just like them. We could be blind guides just like they are because we may say and do things that that make people think the heart of Christmas and Christianity is something that it's not. Like when we focus on the gnats and when we miss the camels, we can actually mislead people instead of showing people the grace and peace and hope that comes through Jesus. We can condemn the world instead of saving the world. Listen, listen to Jesus' words back in Matthew 23. Listen to Jesus' words again to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were doing this at the time. And I want you to, as I read these guys, I want you to pray that God never says, that you never hear Jesus say these words to you. This is, this is what he says. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, you blind guides. You shut the door to the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You don't enter, and you don't allow other people to enter. Look at verse 15. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Man, those are harsh, harsh words. That I pray none of us ever hear from Jesus one day. Listen guys, I, I love you guys so much. I love you guys so much. But we cannot be people who are known by our actions and our words, by people that by sarcastic things and judgmental things and prideful things and being people filled with hate. Like that, that can't be who we are. That doesn't draw anybody to Jesus. It pushes people away from Jesus. Whether we mean it or not, the world hears that as condemnation. When we post whatever we post, our Twitter feed or our Facebook page, or we rant about whatever it is that we rant about, sometimes heartfelt, sometimes sarcastically, it doesn't pull people to Jesus. It pushes people from him. It keeps people away from him. And when I say that I love Jesus and my life doesn't look like Jesus's, that's called hypocrisy, right? It's hypocrisy. And no one likes hypocrisy. It's repulsive to God and it's repulsive to people, right? This week was a tough week. Second funeral, first funeral was for Jen's dad. I'm so sorry. Second funeral that I did was for a 27 year old man, boy, young man. And, uh, he was a, it seems like he was a neat guy. I never, I never got a chance to know him. His dad was a friend of mine. 
and so I sat down with his family and uh, some of his siblings and his mom and dad and I just had him talk about about this guy like tell me about his life and what was important to him and like fun stories important to not just remember the hard stuff the bad stuff but to remember the good stuff too you know I said just tell me tell me about his life and so they started talking about him and told me some cool stories and then they talked about his spiritual life and they said you know he grew up in church like he he grew up hearing all of this stuff that we're talking about he had a bible of his own that he had marked up he used to read all the time marked it all up and then when he got into his teenage years he saw the lives of christians and he saw the hypocrisy all around him He saw the things that they were talking about in church and learning and saying were important to them. And then he saw what they did the other six days a week. And it repulsed him. It it drew up some questions. And they didn't have answers. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And it wasn't long before the hypocrisy that he saw in us, in in followers of Jesus, pushed him away from the church and pushed him away from God. And then 27 years old, had a terrible accident, and just like that, he's gone. Now, it's unclear. I trust God's mercy and God's plan. It's unclear if he actually thought something about Jesus or if he wanted to follow him or not. God knows that. But the lives of Christians pushed him away. Guys, we can't do that. Like your life and my life have an an incredible impact on people. We have the potential to have incredible positive impact and pull people to Jesus when they look at you and they go, man, I want to be like that. Like I want what you have. And we have an incredible potential to repulse people, to repel them, to push them away from Jesus. We have the potential to be blind guides just like those Pharisees where we say this is what's important and we stand up on our high horse and then our lives are completely missing the whole heart of the gospel and instead of pulling people to the cross we push them away from the cross guys I want to challenge you like there's a lot of red cups plain red cups all around us all the time and there'll be more and more and more in the future listen those are gnats or not even gnats. Those are things that are unimportant. And when we make a big deal out of those things, people think that's what Christianity is and this is what Christians look like. And they completely miss the gospel. They completely miss the cross and Jesus. I want to challenge you this Christmas. As, you're, as, you, as you do what you do, and there's a lot of like really fun parts of Christmas. As you do what you do, think about the heart of Christmas. Think about the whole reason that Jesus came and allow that to affect your heart. But then think about how the way in which you celebrate Christmas, who you let in, who you don't let in, what you do, how you act, the effect that it has on people looking in, the way that you celebrate Christmas, how it affects other people. Because we have this incredible opportunity to show people Jesus and how good it is to know him and have a relationship with him and have hope and have peace with God. Or very subtly and easily by the way we live our lives, we can push people away. 
May we be people that God uses to draw others to Jesus this Christmas as we share the incredible story of God loving the world so much that he sent his one and only son to live for us and die for us so that we could be saved. May that be who we are.